Hello and welcome to For Fans Of, a recommendation podcast from Fansided Entertainment. I am your host, Shay Corgan, and today I am joined by Netflix Life Editor Bryce Owen and Fansided Entertainment Director Cody Schultz to talk about two of their strongest recommendations for the week. But before we get to that, here's what was new this week on TV. Last Saturday, Netflix dropped Grand Army, their latest teen drama about five students at the largest public school in Brooklyn, and it's currently still climbing up Netflix top 10. The Vow aired its series finale on Sunday, wrapping up HBO's Nexium docuseries, the same night stars premiered Seduced, their own four-part series on the cult. Netflix, never one to be left out of the true crime arms race, dropped six new episodes of Unsolved Mysteries on Monday, leaving fans anxious for answers to crimes that, come on guys, by definition have no satisfying answers. It's no mystery, however, to Bachelor Nation where Claire Crawley's season is heading. The second episode of The Bachelorette aired Tuesday, only seeming to confirm the spoilers that Claire leaves the season early with her beloved Dale. But let's be honest, we're all gonna keep watching anyways. David Letterman was back on TV, or rather streaming, on Wednesday with Netflix, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. Season three guests include Kim Kardashian West, Robert Downey Jr., Dave Chappelle, and Lizzo. Back on network TV, Thursday sees the return of Supernatural, CW's number one, that show is still on show, back after a COVID break to wrap up its 15th and final season. Speaking of things that were popular in 2006, Borat 2 arrives on Amazon Friday, having already achieved at least one viral moment, courtesy of Rudy Giuliani. I won't say any more, but if you know, you know. Friday also sees the premiere of How To with John Wilson, a Nathan Fielder-produced Man on the Street comedy docuseries in the vein of Fielder's Nathan For You that TV Guide describes as enjoyably weird and incredibly insightful. For a different kind of wholesome, a new episode of The Great British Baking Show arrives on Netflix Friday, so tune in to watch the bakers try to recover from the inexplicable train wreck that was last week's Chocolate Week. Finally, for those that need the high drama of Sunday Night HBO to keep track of the days of the week, The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant in a courtroom drama murder mystery from Big Little Lies' David E. Kelly premieres this Sunday. Now, frankly, I can think of no better segue than rich people prestige drama to transition us to what Bryce is here to talk about, Adam Sandler's Halloween movie. Bryce, let's talk about Hubie Halloween. Let's do it. So, Hubie Halloween is, uh, yeah, like you said, Adam Sandler's new Netflix movie. It came out earlier this month, and it is interesting. Um, If you're a super fan of Halloween, you've got to check out this movie. It feels very, very halloween Um, And obviously, if you like Adam Sandler, you've got to watch this movie, too. Um, Basically, it's set in Salem, Massachusetts, which is like the Halloween capital of the world, apparently. I didn't know that, but uh, I guess it is. Um, And Sandler plays Hubie Shuby Dubois, and he's basically the Halloween hall monitor of the town. And so he's just like obsessed with keeping everyone safe on Halloween. Um, Everyone bullies him and makes fun of him. It's actually kind of sad. Um, But... uh, Yeah, and so when people start disappearing in the town, Hubie catches on and um, no one really believes him. So he has to like, you know, figure out this mystery. Um, And so that's a little bit different than most Adam Sandler movies. Uh, There's really not a layer of mystery other than in Murder Mystery with Jennifer Aniston. Um, You're saying there's actually a plot? (laughs) There is a a bit, it's there. It's a little, it's hard to get through, get like, it's, you wonder, what are we doing? But 
it's it's happening in the background. Hubie's putting the pieces together slowly. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's very how it's slapstick is like how how I would describe it. There's not a lot of like um, super like high level jokes here. It's lots of him falling down, uh, which I guess is funny to some people. Uh, the wordplay is interesting. Like I said, his name is Hubie Shubie Dubois. And so just hearing that over and over again is very, very, I, it, I liked it. I, I'm not going to lie. I liked it. Maya Rudolph at one time says, Hubie do be careful. And so I really enjoyed that too. Um, but like, yeah, like I said, it feels very, very Halloween. It's like a little hocus pocus. It's like the Halloween movies. There's like an escape killer um, from like a mental institution or something. Um, and it's just all smashed together in this like Adam Sandler movie basically that has everyone who's ever been in an adam sandler movie i'm pretty sure is back for this one i feel like if we come into this saying like hey if you liked the halloween horror series check out adam sandler's uh who be halloween we're gonna get some angry people <laughs> in the replies uh but i'm excited i hope i want to see i want to see the people that go into it be like oh this is gonna be a hardcore classic halloween movie um and see what they say uh so you mentioned uh obviously like it's an adam sandler movie he has made, I think, the entire spectrum of quality movies. Like the only man with more quality range might be Nicolas Cage. Can you give me like two or three Adam Sandler movies that this is most like? Like I, I can already tell, like I'm not going into this with Uncut Gems expectations, but where are we on the Adam yeah, Sandler? Yeah, we're not, it's not, so it's not Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, or Big Daddy. So like, it's not those movies, but there's a lot of references to those movies. Um, and then in, it's more like, I guess, what would I say? Hubie's basically Bobby Boucher. Like the mumbling, the like weird, like arrested development. Uh, it's, it's there. Uh, but it's like more tone, it's like more kid friendly, I would say. So more like grownups. It's grownups meets uh Bobby Boucher kind of I guess <laughs> is how I would say interesting um yeah and you it, it, oh, God. oh it, yeah it's there are some jokes that like are probably not for kids but it's not anything bad I wouldn't worry about that at all if I was a parent well I am a parent but I'm not worried about it <laughs> To be fair, I feel like there are jokes in like Finding Nemo that aren't for kids, <laughs> but True. So they want yes. that line of like, we got to give you something for the parents too. So yes. this is like the reverse of that. And Adam Sandler movie, your kids can watch, or your kids can enjoy the same way there are Disney movies that adults can enjoy. Yeah, it's much better than Grown Ups. I should say that too. It's much better than Grown Ups. It's like, I would say it's like in the middle. If What's the best Adam Sandler movie? I would say like Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison are probably my favorites. If those are the best in like Grown Ups, Jack and Jill is like the worst. It's like dead in the middle. <laughs> not a bad, not a bad place to be in. No. Uh, and like, like you said, the cast is kind of just stacked with anyone that's ever been in an Adam Sandler movie, anyone that's like probably in his phone. Which cast member not named Adam Sandler was like the most delightful, the, the brought the most to the movie? Um, that's a good question. I think Julie Bowen's great. Um, like I said, she was in Happy Gilmore with um, Adam Sandler. And so that's cool to see them back on screen together again. Uh, she's great in Modern Family too. 
Maya Rudolph is also really awesome in this movie. Uh, she has a couple good lines. Uh, Shaq has a good cameo. It's very interesting. I'll say that. Uh, but who takes the cake is June Squibb, who plays Hubie's mom. <laughs> she's just the best. There's no denying she's just the best in this movie. Um, yeah, so I, I'd say she's the best. She has some horrible, horrible, horrible graphic tees that she wears, though. It's like the stuff of nightmares. It's the most horrifying part of the whole movie is Jude Squibb wearing these graphic tees. I'm not even going to say what's on them because it's that bad. I need to like push a little bit though on like these tees because our producer, when he heard that we were going to be talking about this, was like, you have to ask about the t-shirts. So I guess without giving anything away, like what, tell me more about the shirts. Okay, so the one that stands out the most to me, um, it had, it's like a, it has the word donor on it and they, the word above it rhymes with donor and they say it a lot of times in this movie because Hubie doesn't know what the word that rhymes with donor means. I don't want to say it on video, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the worst one that she wears in the whole movie for sure. And is this just like, I mean, it's clearly a running gag, but are we given any, I mean, I think I know the answer to this because it's an Adam Sandler movie, but are we given any explanation or is it just like a lovely character detail that uh, his mom wears these? Uh, it's a lovely character detail for her. However, he it's like he doesn't, he's, how do I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this nicely. He's very inexperienced. So that's like the running gag is like that he's too um, naive and like sheltered from the rest of the world. And that's why he's so good. Yeah, so wholesome. Yeah, yeah, very wholesome character. So then, can I can I gather from this that like all these shirts are sort of like PG thirteen or R R esque jokes? I would say PG thirteen and up. Yeah, maybe not R. There's I don't think that there's any really bad language on them. I can't remember all of them though. Uh, but yeah, I think that it just that one stood out to me obviously because of the running gag in the in the yeah. movie. Oh man, um, and we talked again with the cast somebody you know having actors and actresses that have previously worked with Sandler uh are kind of easter eggs in and of themselves but there are other um as far as I've gathered like references to his movies like within this movie so I want to sort of talk a little bit about that but I also want to open this up and maybe this has already been like broached in a previous Adam Sandler movie are we like operating in an Adam Sandler shared universe now I think so. I think this movie proves it. I think that there's too many references to his other movies to like be like, oh, the, the Adam Sandler cinematic universe doesn't exist. Like it definitely does. Uh, there's, yeah, there's some good ones. The one that I think most people are catching is the Billy Madison O'Doyle reference. So like I said, uh, he's bullied throughout the whole movie by everyone in the town, basically. Mainly these group of kids and they're led by uh, a kid with the last name o O'Doyle, who I think everyone remembers from Billy Madison, the O'Doyle rules thing as he drives the car off the cliff. Well, apparently I'm guessing he survived that and then <laughs> has kids later and they grow up in Salem bullying Yubi. Um, there's some other ones. I think the first scene of the whole movie features Ben Stiller. And I think most people remember Ben Stiller was also in Happy Gilmore as the nurse taking care of Happy's mom. And he had, like is 
at the mentalist institution where this person escaped from. And his name is Hal. And I believe his name was Hal and Happy Gilmore also. So it's like he's the same character, which obviously would prove that these movies all exist within the same world. So I thought that was very, very interesting. I love that. I'm nodding along because I am like woefully, uh, I've seen like almost none of Adam Sandler's like most famous and best works. So I'm just like, mm-hmm, sure, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. But it does sort of, my mind is going like, obviously Marvel made like cinematic universe is such a thing. And now in my head, I'm like, okay, is there like, now that there's a Sandler cinematic universe, is there a right order to watch Sandler movies in? Like, do you go chronologically? Can we place them? I mean, his he's playing different people, but they're also like all the same, they're often the same character but he's a different age and I just I'm I'm very ready to go down a rabbit hole of Sandler cinematic universe questions that are definitely thinking too hard for Sandler movies but here I am <laughs> yeah I like I'm not a super Adam Sandler fan like I liked those movies when I was a kid I haven't watched them in a very long time and so I don't know specifically but like I think this one is obviously the most recent and yeah. because there's all these other characters that come back interplaying um, characters within this universe, I guess, this would be the most recent. So I think we can start here and then work backward. Um, Steve Buscemi is also in this movie and he plays a werewolf and he's also a werewolf in a Hotel Transylvania, I believe. Ooh. So wow. <laughs> that one, it's like an animated crossover, which I'm not sure how that works exactly within the universe. If it's just like, I don't know, like a, it's maybe not a hard line. It's just like, I don't know, kind of weave our way through history on this. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I love that. Okay, so if you're not an Adam Sandler fan and you're not a Halloween fan or not like a diehard Halloween fan, what's your sort of best sell for why somebody just scrolling through Netflix, just looking for something to watch, why should they pick this? I would say the cast for sure, because it's so loaded. Like you're gonna be a fan of someone, I'm guessing. Yeah. Like Noah Schnapp from Stranger Things is in this movie. Uh, there's a lot of SNL characters, right? Um, that have been, or SNL people, people who've been on SNL in, in the movie as well. You've got all of Sandler's like normal people, Kevin James, Rob Schneider, Steve Buscemi, they're all in it. Um, that's why I think that most people would watch it because you'd see all of the big names. Uh, other than that, there's like, I don't know, it's like an hour and a half, I think, maybe two hours long. So it's not like super long. We're not talking the Irishman here, like four hours, you're gonna spend two weeks watching this. You could just put it on in the background. You don't really even have to pay attention to know what's happening because the story, like I said, it's not quite what's like, it's not very plot driven, right? It's very character driven. Um, <laughs> If you're a fan of thermoses, yeah, yeah. It's a character-driven story. Yeah, very character-driven. There's, if you like things being put in like thermoses or like catch-all spy equipment, he, Hubie has this thermos and it's probably my second favorite part of the movie other than the wordplay, but, and it doubles as everything. He puts soup in it in one scene and then he's using it as like a grappling hook in the next. So it's very, very interesting, I would say. That's that's what, like, if you like spy equipment, this is probably one of the coolest tools out there, I would say. I love that. If you like things put, if you like things getting put in thermos, uh, thermoses, ther is that the plural of thermos? I realize Therm it's Thermos, yeah, thermos, I know, I don't know. 
<laughs> if you like things getting put in thermoses, watch uh, Hubie Halloween. Um, okay, so I want to keep us on Netflix a little bit more. I also feel that this is like a, a justified transition because Netflix, at least for me, has been giving me like most wild, like you just finished this, please watch, like, do you want to watch this? Uh, the most recent example I have of this is I finished watching the um, American Murder House, Family Next Door, whatever that one was, and it ended, and then it was like, like, congrats, you finished. Do you want to watch Emily in Paris? And I was like, this, I feel like these are very different vibes. Um, so on that note, we're going to hop from Sandler to uh, the Great British Baking Show. I want to bring Cody in. First, I need to do my um, obligatory, like, I cannot talk about this show without my instinct is to call it like Great British Bake Off because that's what I was introduced to it as. And then when finding out why that, why it's not called that anymore, I found out and I think this is like one of those like fun facts that I feel like everybody knows at this point, but it's because um, uh, Pillsbury has like a trademark on the name Bake Off. So they cannot legally call it the Great British Bake Off because of Pillsbury's uh, copyright. So in the US, it's the Great British Baking Show, which just doesn't it doesn't have the same rhythm to it. Anyways, I've gotten that off uh, out of my system. Cody, talk to us about The Great British Baking Show uh, and why people should be watching it right now. Yeah, so great to join you both. So the name kind of says it all. Um, it's a baking show set in the UK. And unlike most US cooking and baking shows, the, the best part about Great British Baking Show is that they're all amateur bakers. So there's no like pros that come into the competition with an edge over the other. Um, which is always kind of a nice thing, have that nice even keel for the competition. And so each week has got a different theme, including, you know, cake week, chocolate week, which we'll get to shortly. Um, they, they compete in three different uh, challenges that kind of test their, their skills. And it's one of those nice systems in that if you fail like the first round, it's not like one and done, like you have your chance for, you know, redemption, which is kind of like that underdog story gives you like someone to root for like, oh, they did really bad in the round one. Let's see if they can do better round two and round three. Um, and then at the end of the season, it's one of those interesting shows where there's no cash prize that they're competing for. So it's kind of like a bragging rights, like feel good kind of thing. Like you get the uh, engraved cake stand at the end and like some flowers and just like bragging rights and, and whatnot. So it's not like they're like, I really need the money and, and it can kind of detract from like, oh, I feel like I should root for this person because of that and the show's really perfect for those who enjoy friendly competition and love a good food series um, if you've had enough baking fails on that uh, nailed it and you want to <laughs> see amateur bakers who can actually cook like this is the perfect show and i also say it's like also the nice break like if you're tired of hearing gordon ramsay yell at his chefs on hell's kitchen like it's all like nice and peaceful in the great british baking tent and uh it's just one of those feel-good shows that anyone can enjoy you don't have to know the history you can dive right in and just enjoy an hour of baking yeah i remember when i i watched and this is another one of those things where it's like it was on for like quite a while in the uk and then in you know tale as old as time netflix gets a series and it sort of takes off stateside but it wasn't the first series like they didn't the first one netflix had wasn't series one which isn't really important, but I remember distinctly watching whatever series was with um, my roommates at the time. And it was something that I don't even know who put it on first, but we all were kind of like, oh, this is fine. And then all got like deeply sucked in. And like, it's like you said, like it's so wholesome, particularly in comparison to other shows, but like 
chopped was like a, a staple of our apartment and it's just it's just like a different energy where it's like like you said the backstories the stakes feel higher where it's like oh my gosh this one person wants you know the money to renovate their kitchen and the other person needs the money to like pay rent and not get evicted like clearly like you want to go with like the one that has the more uh more at stake i guess which i don't know so <laughs> that's all all well and good but it also like you watch them and like they help each other sometimes and like you see things where it's like if somebody's like cakes in the oven and the other person is struggling they get by and like the first episode of this series i remember seeing someone who like she was like oh like this doesn't look right and she asked the person next to her like hey does this look right should i start it over again and the woman was like oh yeah like i think you if you have time you should probably do that that would never happen here <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's one of those things, like, every time you watch, I feel like they put, like, the U.S. cooking shows to shame because the bakers are so supportive of one another. Like, they're not, if they see someone struggling, it's go and do it. It's not instinct. It's not watching from afar. And then in, like, the back package are, like, talking. I felt bad about so-and-so, but it's a competition. Yeah. Uh, so then, I guess my question for you there, we're however many seasons into it now, even as U.S. viewers, is it still charming? Is, is, is the warmth still there or has it sort of begun to wear off? I think it's still there, at least for me. I, I've always loved and respected, like we've been talking about, like the camaraderie. And they mm -hmm. also do a really good job of casting like a good diverse group of likable bakers. Like they don't go for typecast. There's no like big egos in the tent who like you come in and it's like, I'm the, the high, you know, I've gone to pastry school and like I'm better than you kind of type. So there always are on some of the US cooking shows. And it's just, I don't know if it's the setting and being in the tent and having like the nature background all around, like if that, you know, the interjections of like woodland creatures as their cutaway packages like adds to the tone. Um, but it really is just one of those shows that I feel like it's multiple seasons in, but it still feels just as fresh. And I'm just as drawn into it as I was when it first premiered. Bryce, what do you think? I know you're a watcher of the show as well. Yeah, big fan. Um, I think it's interesting that I didn't realize that they didn't have a cash prize, but that makes so much sense because I could see like the sabotaging. Uh, there's a lot of chances and sometimes it like accidentally happens. I think it happened earlier this season where they like knock something over. Um, but I was thinking like, it just, I don't know that I respect anything like as much as these people respect Paul Hollywood in his hands. Like, they always go for the the handshake thing. I just don't have any, there's no one in like history that I would be like, oh my gosh, I really just want to shake this person's hand. Like it just doesn't happen. So that that like whole like weird thing about that is very, very interesting to me. Yeah, the Paul Hollywood is actually a great transition to my next question and sort of general thing that I want to talk about, which is the hosts and the judges. So they had, there was like, minor scandal in the great british baking show world a couple seasons ago i i'm having a really hard time with time these days guys uh, when mary berry who was just like so charming just this everybody's like she want she was who you like wanted like you wanted her to be your grandmother you wanted her to like gently critique your baking like she was lovely um, and then she left the show and either of you, like, if you know more, please, please explain. Uh, Cause I think it was some kind of like contract dispute. So we were left with Paul Hollywood and there was a replacement. And then at the same time, the show is structured where you have two judges and then there are two British comedians who are kind of your MCs basically. 
and the the hosts changed or like the comedian hosts changed as well so cody who are we working with this season and how do they compare to previous hosts and judges so as some backstory the the mary berry debacle kind of came into the show moved networks in the uk um, I don't know what the names of the networks, but production wanted to like resell the contracts and all that because the show was taking off. And so she stayed loyal to the, the network that originated it. And so did the other two hosts at the time, Mel and Sue. Um, and so it was like this big deal. It moved to networks. It was like, is Paul Hollywood going to jump ship as well? And he was like, I'm going to stick with the show and kind of like the only mainstay now. Um, and so that's kind of, it was it was interesting, like you respected it, but you were also like hesitant as a fan. It's like suddenly only one person is going. It's like, we saw how American Idol has kind of been mixed things. You get rid of the original judges, not everyone like clicks. Um, they brought in a pair, Noel Fielding and Sandy, her last name is escaping me, uh, both comedians and they came in and I was hesitant because I'm like, I really loved Mel and Sue. They had good banter. They worked, you know, really warm with the contestants and like supportive in that and I'm like, you're throwing two new comedians in what's the is it going to be like that awkward transition of like they're making jokes at the contestants and they're like clicking but it really was a seamless transition like i didn't feel like the show missed a beat it was almost like those had been the host and that uh prue who's the the new judge on their prue leaf that she had been on the show like from the beginning and it was like i miss the others but it was like i didn't want to root against these other people suddenly because i'm like i really like these people they like they have good timing they're good with the bakers Prue was a little bit like to get used to because she was a bit more critical, but even there, like the British version of critical is nothing compared to like some of the, the feedback and criticisms from the US judges. Like even their like worst, comp, you know, worst complaints are nice in terms of like stateside versions of like cooking shows. Their complaints too, I feel like are always such, they're like, they're not, they don't feel like personal attacks. Like they, there are things like, oh, like this is a little bit dry or like, I don't think the flavors quite work together. And it's like, okay, like it's it's all criticism that I would imagine you could like happily take like in stride and just like work with as opposed to like, like this is a monstrosity. Like <laughs> this is a disaster. Yeah, and I should add, I almost forgot this. So this season they did bring in a new host, Matt Lucas, um, who most US fans know from Doctor Who. Um, and I will admit, it took me like the first episode, I wasn't quite sure. I think it's because they kind of leaned into the pandemic and doing like a more of a political bit, which just felt off for baking. Yeah. And, but he's kind of gradually as the episodes have gone by, kind of hit his stride. And I think he's clicking more with Noel. You're seeing that banter between the hosts. He's more comfortable around the contestants. So I'm optimistic for how the season's going to go. Um, but I definitely think he took a little bit longer to warm on me than the, the previous replacement host. Yeah, I need to take us in a very niche uh, sidebar direction for a quick second. Um, I know Noel Fielding from, I am like extremely into uh, British quiz shows, like pub quiz shows, but very specifically like Big Fat Quiz of the Year, which they do at the end of the year. And then they bring in like panelists of uh, comedians and like other celebrities and they pair them up and it's, I don't know, however long it is. And I really enjoy it anyways. so. I know Noel Fielding from that where he's like always paired with his good pal Richard Iowati and Richard Iowati is just delightful like he also they have like a really good banter and pairing together so ever since I've heard that like Noel Fielding was going to take over sort of the hosting on Great British Baking Show I was like Richard Iowati is my dream like partner for him to do that um and so I, I think I'm a little bit sort of 
biased against Matt Lucas just <laughs> because he's not Richard Iowati and also I don't like love his style of comedy um so I think I I I need him to warm up on me a little bit more because I, I I'm watching you and I'm like oh Jimmy Richard um anyways like I said I just need to get that you know apparently I have really not strong but like niche opinions about the show that I need to articulate um back on topic we said that the judges we talked about how the judges are usually even their criticisms are very gentle and positive what seems like the harshest criticisms I've ever seen on the show came last week during Chocolate Week. So, Cody, I need you to tell us about Chocolate Week. And also, Bryce, I need to get your takes on what it was like watching Chocolate Week happen. So, I feel like I need to begin by, like, prefacing this by saying I am no baking extraordinaire <laughs> and, like, have no right to pass judgment on any of these bakers because, like, my brownies, like, if, if I'm making brownies, they're from a box. So, I can't pass judgment. But I never would have imagined that Chocolate Week would have been such the downfall of so many like strong bakers. Um, it started with the first challenge was they had to make 18 brownies and everyone I think tried to make them too complicated. It's like, let's reinvent the brownie. And everyone kind of failed miserably. There were like underbaked brownies. There were some that were overdone. It was, it was just a hot mess. Um, I think is the best way to put it. And so you're like, okay, round two, we can have like some redemption here. And then they had them make, um, what was it? Some kind of bread, um, mm -hmm. some kind of chocolate bread. I can't remember what, a babka. I think that was it. Um, and they immediately, like all the bakers are like, I've never heard of this before. And I've never, I don't even know what this looks like. And so as predicted, it kind of went miserably again. And like everyone really struggled. You had like the loaves came out looking different. Like each person's was kind of their own unique spin on it. And so then it was like, okay, we've got the showstopper. It's a, it's a cake, white chocolate cake. This has to end well. And then it was like a hot day in the tent. And so hot weather and chocolate never go good together. And it was, it was just like a train wreck watching, you know, watching it unfold in front of your eyes. Um, it ended up the front runner, um, Surah, ended up going home because she had such a terrible week and just struggled throughout it. And it was one of those weeks where it just shows that any week could really be the downfall of anybody, no matter how strong they'd been doing in the early weeks. Um, but I have to admit, I never, there's always one week where the bakers struggle, but never where it's like, everyone has a horrible week. And it's like, how do we pick Star Baker when no one really did anything good? <laughs> all right, Bryce, I obviously have opinions about this, but please, yeah. what, what was your take on all of this? I think, so like, I was very critical of the brownie making too, because like box brownies, like how can you mess that up? So I figured that people who know how to bake could like easily replicate that. However, like the, they kept saying like the consistency of the brownie needs to be like, like warm and gooey or whatever. And I don't even like that kind of brownie. I want like the corner edge. So if someone delivered overcooked brownies, I would have been like, thank you so much. I think Cody's spot on though with the uh, doing too much. I think someone said that if someone would have just made a chocolate brownie, we would have won or whatever. Um, and it's weird to me, like that they often add a lot of like wet ingredients. And I don't know, this is maybe, I don't understand baking at all. So maybe <laughs> someone could explain this to me. But when you add so many wet ingredients to like something that needs to cook in like a short amount of time, I feel like that's like a, like a nightmare. It's a recipe for disaster. And that generally happens. Um, I don't understand though. Like, I know they can't control the weather, but like 
why are they in a tent? I think of this every time they do chocolate week because it's always like hot. And it's like, well, the chocolate, the, like they're making all this cool stuff out of chocolate and then it always melts. So it's like, can we fault them for that? Like if it's not the right temperature in the place that they're cooking or like the fact that there's like 15 ovens on or 12 ovens on or whatever, you'd think it'd be pretty warm in there anyway. So maybe let's do chocolate week when there's like four people left instead of like 10. <laughs> yeah, I... I feel like my one takeaway watching like the first the brownie because like the brownie segment was truly like the most astounding or like all these people that can bake circles around anyone you know every single day cannot bake brownies and like I think it's fair to say like yeah they were doing too much but also like they're still brownies and like I will say I'll differ a little bit from you and like I think Prue's like prettier for a brownie like the kind of like hard top and the gooey inside like that is my preferred brownie type I, I do enjoy that but I'm also with you that the corners where you get like the maximum amount of like the crunchiness or crunchy feels like the wrong word but like whatever it is it's a crunch know. it's a crunch for sure yeah, it's like a, uh, <laughs> but it's like they're not that hard and it made me think like I was like are brownies like and I this is like a genuine was like our brownies like an American thing it's like do British people not know how to make brownies and like not make brownies and then I remembered like I grew up in England and I used to bring brownies to school all the time and we would make them out of a box and they were really good. And I was like, it was like a huge hit every time. And I thought it was just because like, who doesn't like brownies? But now it might be a comparison thing where it's like, nobody there knows how to make brownies. So that's why my brownies were so impressive. Um, but anyways, I was also like very thrown by the fact that none of these people can make brownies. And then even with the heat, like three tier white chocolate celebration cakes or whatever, were like easy for them where they're like oh yeah like it's melting a little bit like it's not perfect like this elaborate flour that I made out of white chocolate is a little bit droopy but they're still like that was much easier for them than brownies and I will just I don't know as long as I live I may never get over the fact that nobody in that tent could bake brownies. I was also curious like so there's egg and brownies I'm pretty sure so did like the undercooked stuff like I would just like not eat it if I was the judge I'd be like okay great great effort but like move on to the next and I know that Paul Hollywood does that sometimes but I think that they tried all of the brownies which is like kind of alarming I don't know yeah and if you now that you bring that up it's kind of funny because like if you look on any like U.S. cooking show like if they are presented with a plate and they don't think it's underdone like they have no problem just like pushing it aside and won't even look <laughs> at it it's like oh your plating looks nice but I can't really taste it and I never really clicked that even though they always are like saying, well, I think this is underbaked, they still eat it and like are tasting it. So is, I wonder if it's like just something. I think it's like degree of baked because um, Sura, I think her name was, like her cake was underbaked and like still batter and they didn't eat that. But I think when it's just like too moist or something like that, it's fine. Plus like, I know you're not supposed to eat like raw eggs and dough and batter, but like anyone that's eaten raw cookie dough knows that you can survive. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, well, do you guys have any more thoughts about Chocolate Week? I don't wanna sort of, I wanna keep us moving, but also I could talk about Chocolate Week for days, so. <laughs> it was just so alarming, that's what I'll say. Like, I don't, I've watched this show for so long now and I don't ever remember a week that bad, that's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hoping, I don't know what the next week is, but I'm really hoping like they can rebound and like they have that story of like, okay, Chocolate Week's behind us, let's never talk about it again and focus on something else. 
they're just bonded by the, the trauma of Chocolate Week. All right, with that in mind then, who do you guys think is gonna win? So it's, it's funny, like if you watch the premiere episode and like just based your predictions on week one, I would have never thought Linda, who is, I think her title is like retirement team living, um, something coordinator. She had a really weak week one and I thought she was like going to be shown the door and like the first eliminated. And each week since she's gradually gotten better and better. And it's kind of like that top contender where now it's like, I really want to root for her. Like she's doing good. She, there's no unlikable people in this like cast. So it's never like you can pick personalities and be like, oh, that person's kind of like got an ego or something because you really like all the cast. Uh, but I think for me, she's like rising to the crop. Um, I like Dave. I think he's he's the armored guard guy. Um, he's been pretty consistent, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Cause it's like consistency can sometimes just get you to the middle of the road if you don't like start climbing and improving. Um, and then I think Peter is the the youngest contestant this year. And I think he's got a good shot. The young contestants seem to do well on the show. Um, which is kind of surprising you would think it'd be like the like reverse like they would be the ones struggling since they haven't been baking quite as long because um, I feel like especially with some of these older contestants like they've been baking for as long as this person's been alive and so you would think like that level of expertise of like literally of having baked their entire life um, but I think it's sometimes they bring new things like they're willing to try like new techniques and you hear them talk about like oh I saw this and I decided to put my spin on it and so those are my three I'd say who right now I, I Sura would have been um, I was like so bummed when she left last week. So I'm like, she should go far. And then brownies and everything just destroyed her chances. Brutal. What about you, Bryce? I think uh, Cody mentioned them. I think Dave and Peter, um, I think Peter's going to win. I actually, I, I don't, there's just something about him. He always seems to like, when he does bad, it's like passable, which I think like that'll get you at least into like the top six probably if you don't mess up too horribly on like three consecutive bakes. Um, and then I think that he's good enough to when it gets down to the end, it's like, you know, who knows? Like, I think that a few seasons ago, they had one of the person was like the favorite going into the like final bake and they just totally bombed, which is really unfortunate and horribly sad. Oh. Good that there's no money on the line though. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, when you're like if you can get into the top four you've got like a good chance and so I think that he's gonna I think he'll do it yeah I would have to agree with you guys Peter Dave and Linda seem like the ones that like Linda's got that nice trajectory of like starting a little bit rocky and then like really sort of coming into her own during chocolate week um whereas like Dave and Peter have kind of been like pretty like rock solid and I feel like if they they have some real like statement bake soon um they could absolutely, absolutely take home the uh, the title and no cash money, no cash prize. And it's like, like you mentioned, it's, I think it's about the narrative too. Like, it, I think that they like the people that like, it wasn't going well. And then they're like, whoa, blown away. I think that that's the key here. Yeah, you just gotta, gotta impress Paul Hollywood and Prue. Do we know Prue's last name? Leith. Leith? Leith, yeah. I, I admittedly I had to Google it because I'm just like I just call them like Paul Hollywood and Lee and and Paul and Prue. <laughs> what is her last name? <laughs> Prue is a um, name. I will say, well, maybe this is uh, maybe I'm stealing your uh, spot shape, but I've got a question for you guys. Please go ahead. <laughs> Does Prue have the best glasses on TV? Ooh. Um, I don't wear glasses, but. I always am just like, wow, those are really nice glasses. I wish that I could wear glasses like that. 
Oh, they are. I'm, I have like a Google image search pulled up now for glasses. They're they're nice. They also I think they they work really well for her just as far as like the statement color and the shape uh, is like flattering on her face. There, I would not go so far as to say they're the best glasses on TV. I feel like as someone that has like ten pairs of glasses, there are other glasses that I've seen that I covet more. Where I'm like I need I need another pair of glasses that look like those. I don't feel that way about hers, but I do think they work really really well for her general vibe. Yeah, and I have to admit, it's her weird, like, they're both necklaces that, like, always catch my eye, because they're, like, always, like, these weird shapes, and they are always, like, really big statement necklaces, and so I, I haven't really paid too much attention to the glasses. I'm usually, like, what necklace is she going to wear this week, because they're always, like, some <laughs> odd, like, crazy, and it, they look great, you know, it's nothing, it's just, it's kind of like that guessing game of, like, what's she going to wear next, because it's, like, some of the, the necklaces, it's, like, you can't help it, like, drawn to them, it's, like, there's been, like, somewhere there was, like, all these weird shapes and it's like I don't know where she pulls them out of like I'd love to see her like closet like these glasses <laughs> and necklaces like all of these like I can't even imagine how many she has yeah that is I'm gonna have to watch for that now all right so there's a new episode tomorrow which is Friday yeah uh so to all our listeners if you haven't been watching Great British Baking Show this year catch up you can do what I did, which is watch the chocolate week and then go back and watch the other ones. Um, or you can watch from the beginning like a normal person. Uh, new episode tomorrow. If that's not your thing, but you've already opened up the Netflix interface, go for uh, Hubie Halloween. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be Adam Sandler. It might also be delightful. Um, thank you, Bryce. Thank you, Cody, for joining me this week. And we will see everyone next week for another episode of For Fans Of. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.